1: everybody to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's medical podcast. This is our podcast where we take a topic of anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, pharmacology and we do a deep dive. Oh, so this is the long form. This is the long form. People may be listening to it. It's been a a while. It's been
2: a while. Yeah. Well, it's... I I blame you for that. It's
1: only been two episodes of the A to Zs but we are... doing our normal episode on a topic which is very important for any aspiring healthcare professional, anyone who's interested in biology, anyone who's interested in the brain and neuroscience.
2: Embryology, I like it.
1: Nope, didn't say that. I said neuroscience. Uh. And uh, what we need to talk about today is pretty much how we do anything. How we walk, how we talk, how we move, how we jump, how we sing, how we dance, how we... ...you know, talk with each other and... think you said uh, talk. Did I? Yep. Damn it. I'll ruin that introduction. We're talking about action potentials. We're talking about graded potentials. We're talking about how a neuron can send a signal... ...to allow for us to, to communicate. Its
2: friend. To its friend. And what is its friend? Its friend could, could be... Could be another neuron. It yeah. Could, could be a uh, muscle. Yeah. It Could be a gland. Yeah. It could be... You've basically covered
1: it. much. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. So... We're going to talk about action potentials. We're going to talk about graded potentials. We're going to talk about everything you need to know. And then at the end, we're actually going to read some listener emails. So I've received a whole bunch. So we're going to read a couple out yeah, at the end of this one. We've
2: got two ways of receiving emails now, kind of, right? Well, they're all via, through emails. Via our website, yeah. which is a new feature. Oh, That's yeah. what I meant. Visit our website, drmattanddrmike.com.au. And then we have our actual email address, yeah, which is the G U Biosciences. Yeah, yeah. So we're kind of getting bombarded with two fronts.
1: Very true. Or you can even just access me on social media and send me a message from there.
2: Send a social media action potential.
1: Yeah. I don't know what that means, but (laughs) go for it. All right. So let's begin with action potentials. Like I said, we need to begin by talking about something called excitable tissue. So, excitable tissue is a type of tissue in the body and we know there's a whole bunch of tissue types. We know that generally you can break the tissue types of the body into four, mm-hmm. which is nervous there for communication, connective there to bind, wrap and hold, uh, epithelial there to create boundaries, and then muscle which is there for movement. But there's other subcategories of these tissues and some of them we term excitatory, which means this tissue has the capacity to do something. And you very nicely outlined it at the beginning when you spoke about neurons sending signals. That's excitable tissue. What, what's another one that you said?
2: Uh, muscle.
1: Muscle. So that's got the ability to contract. So that's excitable. What else? I also said glands. And glands. They've got the abil- ability to be excited and release either chemicals or hormones. Okay. So these- Isn't a hormone a chemical? Sure, but... A chemical could be an enzyme. Maybe hormones
2: go into the blood, whereas the other one goes into a duct.
1: Yeah. So you can have exocrine, endocrine, plus you can have neurotransmitters. Anyway, <laughs> at the end of the day, all we're talking about is an excitable tissue has the capacity to be excited to do something. And so that means this excitable tissue can be doing nothing, so resting, or it can be doing something and it's excitable. And so we need we need to talk about it at rest and then it getting excited. And this is where the whole action potential comes into right. play. Because action potentials aren't just used for neurons sending signals. Action potentials are used for muscles to contract and for these glands to release their substances.
2: Okay, so we're not going to just focus on neuron action potential today.
1: No, but it will be the example we use. Okay. But you can just translate that into other, other tissues, mm-hmm. right? Okay. All right. So the first thing we need to understand is that if we have a cell, I want somebody to just picture a cell, cell in their mind, let's just say a neuron for example, the inside of the cell compared to the outside of the cell will be different in regards to its basic. concentration
2: of things. Yeah,
1: it's different chemicals. Specifically, we need to talk about the ions. So the ions are the charged atoms and elements.
2: So give me an example of a couple of ions. Um, potassium, which is K plus. Yep. Um, sodium, which is Na plus. Chloride, I'll, I'll give you a negative one. Yeah. Chloride, which is Cl negative. Very good. Um, phosphate, yes, which is PO four negative.
1: Yep. PO PO PO, PO four three negative.
2: Okay. Yeah. Um, there's heaps more. There's Do heaps you want really to keep going? No, I think calcium that's enough. Ca, Ca two plus.
1: No, I think uh, just so the listeners remain listening, <laughs> we'll we'll stop there. But
2: but I think you should also say. Um, th- there's also proteins within the cell mm. and they generally give a negative charge. Yes. And so that's going to also play a role in the electrochemical Why nature. Why do proteins
1: have a negative charge, just as an aside? Do you
2: know? Oh, probably the, um, the from the molecular structure of the protein, yeah. um, the side groups, I guess.
1: The phosphate backbone yeah. of the DNA. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah.
1: So because... Proteins are made up of amino acids, which yeah. are made up of DNA, and they've got a phosphate backbone, and that's all negatively charged. Right. So, proteins have a negative charge, and like you said, they're mostly inside. But can they the
2: change depending on the, the pH environment? So, they're, they're losing things.
1: It's called the pKa, my friend, yeah. and we can do an episode on that, but not today. All right. So, the point is that you've got cells, and inside and outside of the cells, you've got these ions and proteins of various charges and they're actually distributed differently from inside to outside. So outside the cell, you're going to find most of your sodium ions, so Na+. Inside the cell, you're going to find most of your potassium ions, which is K+. Now you also have other ones, but we're just going to stick with these two at the moment because they're the two most important ones Are you going to give
2: me any kind of numbers here or just nope, keep going? All it's right.
1: going to keep going. Okay. I mean, I can if you want. So, for example, outside, so if I were to take your blood right now yeah. and measure Which is the- extracellular? Yes, and measure the concentration of sodium. Of sodium, it'll be what one hundred forty-two millimolar. Yep. Right. And if I were to measure your potassium, around about four to five millimolar. Yep. Three
2: to three to five. Yeah.
1: Three to five. So what that tells you is the potassium is really low outside the cell because yep. a lot of it is locked a- away lot inside of, the a
2: cell. A lot of sodium, but if you were somehow able to get access to the intracellular, so within the cell fluid, then you'd find the opposite, right? Yeah. High Most. amounts of potassium, which is almost the same as sodium outside the cell. Yeah. And uh, reverse. Vice versa.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. So most sodium out, most potassium so in. So like both, both cells charged.
2: are potassium bags, that's what I call them.
1: Yeah, floating in a sea of salt because <laughs> actually for outside there's sodium and chloride yeah. that it's floating in. Okay, so we've set that up. Now here's the thing. Anytime, so this is biology 101, right? I assume anyone who's listening to this has probably done, their very early stages of biology and they know that when you've got a high concentration of a chemical, from one side of a membrane to another, or just in an area, it just do diff- an area. It diffuses from its, its a high gradient. concentration area to its low concentration area. And the way I explain it to students is that if you've climbed the ladder to go to the top of a slide, you are at a high area because of uh, gravity. Because, well, yeah, in a way, you are at a high area. You've got a high concentration oh, okay, of stuff, okay, I can see what right? You're doing, yeah. And
2: so, a good vantage point. Yep.
1: And if you hop on the slide, gravity takes you down. So it's what nature wants to do so in biology bile it's just a biological law if you've got a high concentration of sodium in one area it's going to diffuse to areas where there's a low concentration of sodium same thing happens with potassium any other chemical so by that what do you think the sodium that is predominantly sitting outside the cell
2: wants to do just uh outside or in respect to in respect to the
1: whole situation
2: oh it, it, it just wants to move around uh and equalize itself out
1: Yeah, and because there's a low concentration of sodium inside the cell…
2: Okay, so you're you're talking about a cell now. Yeah. So you're… I uh, said in uh, the context uh, uh, of what uh, uh, we're talking about. Okay, all right. So, but then you, we're adding another level of complexity here, which which is the membrane. Yes. It doesn't operate just like… But we'll get there. What does the
1: sodium want to do?
2: It just wants to go into the cell because it's, it's less concentrated in there.
1: And what about the potassium where there's a high concentration in the cell? It just wants to leave. That's right. But it can't though, which is what you were going to say, yeah, yeah.
2: why? Well, the membrane that wraps around the cell is a selective filter. Mm. So it's semi-permeable, which means it decides what things can cross it and what things can't.
1: And there's two things. If it's large or charged, it doesn't go through, right? Yeah. Now, is sodium potassium is not large. But it is charged. Exactly. So they can't freely diffuse down their concentration gradients. But luckily for us, there's channels embedded in these membranes and there's a sodium-specific channel and a potassium-specific channel. But here's the thing. The sodium-specific channel, doors are shut. They're closed. So sodium cannot go down its concentration gradient. So sodium stays outside the cell at the moment. Mm -hmm. Potassium, however, which I said is high concentration inside the cell, its channels, the door's slightly creaked open. And so potassium tends to leak out. And that's what it's called, right? A leaky potassium channel. So if potassium leaks out, what's it sort of carrying with it? Uh, A charge. Which charge? Plus. Yeah. So slowly over time, the outside of the cell, just the outside becomes slightly positive compared to the inside. Okay. Now, every single excitable cell of our body, and you could argue that probably every single cell in our body has another s- channel associated with it. And it's actually called a pump. And this pump pumps sodium and potassium back and forth across the membrane. What's this pump called?
2: I think you said it. Sodium potassium pump. That's right. That, that requires energy because it's a pump. Mm. So you might also throw in ATPase, which means it's an enzyme That's right. that uses ATP to drive it.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it throws three sodium out of the cell and two potassium into the cell. Okay. And that's what actually generates that sodium outside and that potassium inside. So it's constantly doing that its thing, right? Regenerating or rejuvenating or reorganizing the inside and outside of the cell so that there's mostly sodium outside, mostly potassium inside.
2: And so this is very energy dependent. Yeah. And so cells that do a lot of this pump in would require a lot of glucose and a lot of oxygen.
1: This is, the, this is the main reason why we need
2: to eat food Yeah, because and, and the so, energy goes towards these pumps. And so this is probably parts of the body that really have a lot of pumps like your central nervous system and mm. your kidneys um, need a lot of blood. Exactly. And then once you run out of blood, <laughs> this tissue dies quickly. Yeah,
1: because mm. so, you need that ATP, that energy. So it's throwing three positive sodium out and two positive potassium in which means what, where's the net positive charge here? Um, out. That's right. So take that in conjunction with the leaky potassium channels, which is throwing positive potassium out, and you've now generated a. Can charge. the potassium? Can the potassium
2: go backwards through the leaky channel? No, it's only one directional.
1: Yes, because it's always going down its concentration gradient. Yeah, but
2: isn't there also a gradient of electrochemical? So yes, it's but c- all, all can't that does uh, suck it back in because it's kind of pulling a positive back to a negative.
1: So we'll get there okay. because what we end up so. If you think about this, the sodium potassium pump throws the sodium out, throws the potassium in. Mm. It creates a chemical gradient. Yep. The leaky potassium channel leaks outside.
2: So that's it's that's following. It's just its concentration gradient. Its
1: concentration gradient, and now we've got a chemical, uh, an electrical, electrical gradient, so
2: a voltage difference.
1: That's right. So what happens is it's slightly positive outside compared to inside the membrane. Mm-hmm. Now that means that the negative inside wants to pull positive things back in and wants to repel positive things from going out, right? You're going to hit a point of equilibrium where the positive potassium that leaks out will only leak out to a degree in comparison to the sodium potassium pump throwing yeah. things back in. Okay. And this equilibrium is both an electrical equilibrium and a chemical equilibrium and we call it the electrical chemical gradient okay. that's been established and it's actually called now the resting membrane potential right so if i were to get a voltmeter which measures charge differences Mm -hmm. and measure the outside of the membrane to the inside, we would find that not only is the outside slightly positive compared to the inside.
2: So it's relative to each other here.
1: Yes, exactly right. So it's not an absolute value. It's simply relative to one another.
2: So the inside of the cell relative to the outside fluid is a negative.
1: Exactly. And the negative or the negativity that it has is negative 70 millivolts.
2: Depending on where you are. Obviously, yes. but, but for neurons for today, yeah, we'll call it negative 70 millivolts. That's right.
1: Okay. So that's at rest. So again, it's called the resting membrane potential. So resting because the neuron hasn't fired a signal. It's not doing anything. It's resting. Membrane because it's the charge difference across the membrane. So this isn't a charge difference everywhere outside the cell and everywhere inside the cell. It's simply in that very small area, nanometers, picometers across that membrane. And the last part is potential. It has the potential to change. And that's when the tissue gets excitable. Does that make sense? Yeah, All right. So now our baseline is inside the cell of this neuron. It's negative 70 millivolts outside. It is positively charged. Now we've got the potential to change it for something to happen. So this is where we now, to, now need to talk about how do we stimulate or inhibit a neuron from sending a signal. And this is where we now need to talk about things called graded potentials or what's another word for it, like summation potentials. Yeah. Right?
2: So Adding up.
1: Adding up. Now, there's different ways that you can trigger a neuron. I want you to think about our different senses.
2: Do you have to hear just describe describe what a neuron looks like at this end, like a dendritic end?
1: You can if you want. Do you want to do it?
2: Just... Kind of think of a tree, like the, all the branches of a tree. Yeah. And they're, so receiving, they're receiving. So, you know, some neurons, some particularly, I think the cerebellum has the greatest, right? Yeah. What is it? 10,000? You- like one neuron can receive 10,000 other neurons on yeah. it. Yeah. It's huge. It's which enormous. Is, which is the complexity of the central nervous system, right? It's, if you have, I mean, how, how many neurons do we have in the central nervous system? Um, billions. Yeah. But then if you add that each neuron could communicate with, let's just say, 10,000 neurons, then you have the complexity of networks which oh, yeah. make it highly complicated. I
1: mean, we've, we've got more connections in the central nervous system than there are stars in our galaxy. Right. There's, it's enormous. So it, when you think about a neuron, not all neurons will either fire off or not fire off will either fire off or be inhibited from firing off,
2: okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And so a neuron may receive a signal from another neuron, but that neuron may say, hey, don't send a signal. And yes. this is what students don't get, right? Okay. They other think nothing's coming in, so nothing's sent, or something comes right. in and something's sent, but it's not true.
2: So then should we say before we go into this area of deciding if it's going to be excited or inhibited at the dendritic level, we should just say... Uh, from an action potential standpoint, yeah. it's just an all or nothing phenomenon. So it's either going to happen or not going to happen. Yeah. Now what decides it to get to happening is all these graded differences of things that are exciting in the branches of the tree or inhibiting it. Yes.
1: So if you ha- draw a little graph up and you write negative negative seventy millivolts on that graph and then on the y-axis, right, so the vertical axis, you go from negative 70 and then go to negative 55, which is obviously more positive, and then go to zero and then go to positive 30, right, on that y-axis, what you'll find is that the resting membrane potential at negative 70, if the inside of that neuron becomes slightly more positive, enough so that it hits negative 55 millivolts, that's the trigger to send a signal down that neuron and that's what you meant as all or nothing yes. and, what, and what is
2: that what is that phenomenon called the all or nothing phenomenon when it becomes positive beyond the resting potential or at least to the in this case the threshold well
1: that's the action potential yeah right?
2: which is also known as the depolarizing yes effect right yes whereas if you do the opposite and make the membrane or the inside of the membrane more negative than its resting potential, yeah. you're hyper-polarising it. Exactly. Yeah. Which okay. will become part of the action potential when we talk about it. But exactly. I'm just saying how you change the charge. If you make it more positive, you're depolarizing it. Or if you make it more negative than its resting potential, you're hyper-polarising it.
1: Yes. So think about – the way I like to think about it is that – so if you've got negative 70 and then you've got negative 55, there's – a, a little bit of buffering capacity there. Mm. So let's just say we're at -70 in the neuron and I throw in a little bit of potassium some oh sorry sodium somehow or calcium. I'm making the inside of that membrane slightly positive. So let's say I bring it from -70 to -65. Now that's not yet -55. Nothing happens. No signal sent. It's not enough. What if I then throw a bit more sodium in and bring it to negative -60? It's still not at negative 55. It's still not enough. No signal will be sent. Not until it hits negative 55. That's that all or nothing, right? So the aim here is let's first start with we want the neuron to send a signal. Okay. So we need to throw enough positive things into this neuron and it doesn't matter what that positive thing is. It can be sodium. It can be calcium. In actual fact, they're the two major things that it's going to be in a neuron. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be enough to make that particular area in that neuron negative 55 millivolts and then it will send its signal, right? So let's think about that. We want to send a signal. Okay. Now there's different neurons in the body, as we know. Uh, We might have a first-order neuron that receives light from our eyes, the optic nerve. We might have an auditory neuron that receives auditory signals. We might have taste, for example. We might have mechanical... uh, Chemical, thermal, a whole bunch. Noxious, noxious. So there's different types of neurons waiting to receive these different signals. Signals. And so, if it is one of these first order neurons,
2: so this this is sensory. Yes, picking up information from the outside world about the world, and this is going to take information to our central nervous system to make sense of it. Exactly.
1: So let's think about um,
2: me, let's just say me touching this mug that I'm picking up. I can
1: feel this mug. And the only reason why I feel it is because a signal's gone from my hand all the way to my brain. So action potentials have been sent, which means enough of a signal has been, or enough positive things have moved into the neuron at my hand Mm -hmm. to send the signal. I've stimulated mechanical receptors in my fingertips. So the question is how do I turn a mechanical signal? into something that throws positive sodium and calcium into a neuron.
2: Yeah, so you'd have mechanico-receptors, so receptors that sit on the dendrites of that particular nerve that is in that part of your hand Mm. and the depression of that cup that you're pushing it against is deforming those mechanical receptors. Isn't that amazing? Which is then opening the channels and so the deformation of these receptors, mechanical receptors, is now causing the rushing in mm. of these ions, probably sodium, into the dendrites of those n- neurons that are um, respective to that part of your hand. Yeah. And then they will get to the point where they will put enough sodium in that it com- comes up to threshold and then that will elicit an action potential. Don't you think
1: – I love that. Mm. I, I think that is just amazing that – Simply, you're when you mechanically stimulate a neuron, you're just distorting, physically squeezing and moving and distorting the receptor so that it just opens.
2: That's well, yeah, that's amazing. I came I came across something the other day that I found amazing. You know how when we have smooth muscle, yeah, um, when you uh, stretch it, it responds by contracting. Right, you, you know reflexively. Reflexively, yeah. so you know, like say a blood vessel, if you put uh, too much blood down at one point, uh, it yeah. reflexively contracts. Yeah, and the reason for that is you stretch on the membrane of the, the smooth muscle. You stretch and open calcium channels, right? Which then causes calcium to come in, and, and, that, de-po- and that depolarizes the muscle, which causes it to contract. And that's why you get the reflexive contraction. Amazing. So Amazing. similar principle, but just in a, in a different way.
1: So you can take this principle about mechanical. So what? Actually, what receptors do is they transduce. So we've just transduced. So cha- change
2: in one form to another. Yeah, a so mechanical in this case, to mechanical. a chemical. Right.
1: And that's what they all do. So uh, visual, light, we transduce light into chemical. So a light input to the optic nerve will open up sodium or calcium channels, right? Mm. And they rush in down their concentration gradient, stimulate an action potential. Same thing happens for a chemical signal. So if acid burns my hand, the reason why I feel that is because the acid, the chemical actually opens up channels in my hand to send that signal. And same happens with thermal and temperature and so forth, right? So this is one way of stimulating an action potential is simply by opening up these channels through light, touch, chemical, whatever it may be. But the neuron might be a second or third order neuron which only speaks to another neuron. So sometimes an action potential needs to be propagated after a neuron speaks to it. And this is when neurotransmitters Neurotransmitters. are involved. And so there's going to be neurotransmitters that stimulate sodium channels to open, so sodium rushes in, or calcium channels to open, so calcium can rush in.
2: All right, so let's do, do an example. Yeah. Let's do between first and second order, but let's do it in a pain neuron. Sure. Or, an, or, a, or a nociceptive yeah, uh, neuron. Yeah, that's more accurate. Okay, so say. let's say you've, with your same hand that you use for the cup, yep. let's say in this case... Um, it's hot. Super, it's, boi- it's boiling. Right, which okay. is how
1: you made it earlier for me. <laughs> <Sure>. Yeah.
2: So <laughs> <laughs> slight digression here, but I, I think it's important. Yeah. Um, You'll have heat receptors on your hand, but they only go to a certain point. So they yes. go up to like 60 degrees mm. and then I, I, that could be slightly wrong. But let's just say ballpark 60. So they can only receive thermal information up to 60 degrees and beyond that threshold now it becomes painful.
1: Yeah, so we, di- we we discern it as a temperature change. Because it, it and makes we no biological sense
2: up. to know... That's 85 degrees or that's 110 or degrees <laughs> because it's just painful and it's going to melt your hand. That's right. So at this point, let's just say you picked up that cup and it was boiling. Yeah. Um, you now have free nerve endings which um, are just going to activate. It's not really a pain receptor. It's just going to activate no the nerves no because susceptor. because it's, um, it's inducing a noxious stimulus. Yes. And so that first autumn – Neuron fires action potentials, goes right to the end, and at the end of that neuron, at this point, we'll we'll explain it a bit later. But it just releases a neurotransmitter, yeah, which then um, communicates with the second order via a neurotransmitter. And this in this case, it's going to be excitatory because it wants to tell the next one to send a potential. That's right. Because you need to tell your brain to move your hand away. Yeah. And this could be like a substance P yep, or substance P, glutamate. Glutamate. And these are excitatory.
1: Yeah, there's a whole bunch of chemicals that can release. But at the end of the day, what they do is the release of these chemicals, like substance P, which is a neurotransmitter, like you said, will bind to receptors on the next neuron, and those receptors open up sodium or calcium channels. Yes. That rushes in, yeah. depolarizes, goes from negative 70 to negative 55, stimulates the action potential, which we still haven't spoken about in detail yet, and we will, to send the signal. And that's a perfect example. And
2: they're excitatories.
1: They're excitatory. So a good example of excitatory neurotransmitters would be glutamate, and in and in some contexts, acetylcholine, dopamine. Yeah. Right. But acetylcholine, dopamine can be inhibitory depending on where we're where, talking about okay. in the body. So excitatory. So acetylcholine, excitatory for muscles, but can be inhibitory in other aspects of the central nervous system. Dopamine can be excitatory and inhibitory in the same areas of the central nervous system, depending on the receptor it binds to. One of the reasons why dopamine allows for us to initiate movement and smooth it out because it's inhibiting some pathways and stimulating other pathways. We will do an episode on the basal ganglia at some point and talk about that. So this is the stimulation. Now I want you to think about this, Matty. Let's just say that uh, something – let's use the mechanical receptors, right? I pick up this mug. Now sometimes something will touch you and – It doesn't register in your brain. You have no idea that something touched you.
2: Now, that's
1: because it didn't stimulate an action
2: potential. Can I give you an example here? Love. Yep. Yep. We do this in neuroscience. We use uh, apparatus called a von Frey's apparatus, which is basically like whiskers, you know, cat whiskers. Yeah. So different diameters of… Whiskers. Plastic. Okay. Plastic whiskers. Yeah. And so if you get one that's a filament that is so thin, I could push it onto the end of your finger and you won't feel anything, yep. but you keep moving up the diameter size, and eventually you'll feel it. Yes. And it's just because you're doing enough mechanical depression on the receptors in your fingertip that you'll then be able to understand that there's something on your finger.
1: Yes, it needs to be sufficient enough to open up those sodium or calcium channels to let them in,
2: right? And there's certain diseases. A good a good example would be diabetes, yep. particularly type 2 diabetes because it – sits in the background for so many years without you knowing it, all that glucose that's so high in your blood for so long, it causes destruction to the myelin, which we'll talk about a bit later, but that's the insulation about nerves, but also it will start to drop off the axons as well. So this is known as a neuropathy and you will lose the potential to carry action potential and you'll actually need a bigger whisker to to know that you can feel something. And this is a big problem with diabetics particularly in their feet because it's more profound there, they will lose vibrational and mechanico-reception and they sometimes don't know they've injured themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that causes tissue damage and then they can lead to ulcers which then can lead to bad infections and then uh, amputation. Yeah, horrible.
1: Mm. But that's a perfect example. So you need to trigger that mechanico-receptor enough to let enough sodium and enough calcium in. So, for example, in that scenario, those very small whiskers, they are still likely distorting the mechanoreceptors and those mechanoreceptors are still likely opening up to let sodium and calcium in, just not enough, right, to hit the threshold. threshold right. So what can actually happen is there's. It, this is called a graded potential where you let enough sodium and calcium in to that neuron that it – makes it just slightly more positive but not positive enough. So it's graded. It's a, it's just gone up a little bit. And let's just say you remove the whisker, then you let the sodium, potassium, ATPase pumps do their thing and it regenerates, the throws that sodium and calcium back out and it's re-established the resting membrane potential. It goes back to negative 70, right? But if you use that whisker enough over a shorter frequency. period of time in frequency, you might distort the mechanoreceptor, it throws some sodium in and it goes from negative 70 to negative 65. You remove the whisker, you push it in again very quickly, opens the channel up again, throws the sodium in and it, it's adding, it's summing up each of these times it throws sodium in. It hasn't given it enough time to reset it. So this is a graded potential where it's actually called a spatial… Spatial because that's… Um, uh, sorry, it's called a temporal… Graded potential, which is over time. In time. So if in the same area you open up a sodium channel and quickly enough in the one area, it's individual opening... So before
2: it gets a chance to kind of re-establish itself. That's right. Go back to the baseline.
1: It's Individual opening up isn't sufficient to send the signal, but if you do that enough. multiple times in a short period of time, that's called temporal summation. Okay. Right? Now you can do... A similar thing, but instead of over time, you actually have that small whisker in multiple areas, opening multiple channels up at once. Then, even though individually they're only letting in a small amount of sodium, they all add up in that area to hit the threshold to send an action potential, and that's yeah. called temporal summation.
2: Which that that would just be the bigger whisker because you're just depressing more skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So more exactly. channels are begin depressed, and then you actually get the action potential.
1: Exactly right. So that's called spatial summation. So you've got temporal over time, spatial over a distance.
2: right? And then while, you, while you're while you there, while we're talking about this, this is where you then bring in um, situations where you've injured tissue and you have inflammation. And so now you have oh, w- within yeah. the area uh, a change in the chemical environment. And so this is what we call the, the neurons have become sensitised. So they're more excited but not necessarily – firing at the threshold, but all you might need to do... Is you've changed the resting membrane potential. Right, so you've got them instead of negative 70, now it's sitting, let's say, negative 60. Yeah. So you only need a bit of um, graded change, and this could just be, again, mechanical depression, that then you get a painful... Yes. Stimulus.
1: And that normally wouldn't give you a painful stimulus, but in this case it does because the, the resting membrane potential has changed. Because, like you said, if you've got inflammation, you've damaged some tissue, some calcium is going to be released and some calcium is going to jump into the cell and it's going to make it more likely for calcium and sodium to get in. And, and so this phenomenon changed.
2: could be termed either hyperalgesia. Yep. So you're act- actually just more sensitive to a, a noxious stimulus. Yeah. Or it could be called allodynia which is something that shouldn't now cause it's so like something that's usually pleasant causes now something that's painful and well, an example of that is sunburn so you've had sunburn you've got skin de- damage you've got inflammation that's why it's red and then your dad comes along and pats you on the back
1: or smacks you
2: <laughs> um Or you just have a shower yes. and now, like, normally, thermally, thermally, that wouldn't have hurt, but now it's painful. Exactly. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and ZepBound for those who qualify.
1: Perfect. I think that's a great example.
0: Another
2: one. Can I give you one more? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And this is an interesting one that I find. Have you ever experienced either you've just cleaned your teeth, yeah, or you've had like a menthol, menthol, or chewing gum with menthol in it, yeah, 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 and then you drink water yeah. and it's the cold Spicy. becomes painful. Yeah. Have you had that before? Yeah, of course. So the menthol tricks the neuron to think it's a cold stimulus. Yeah. So it's a chemical. But it actually your cold receptors see it as something cold. Mm. Okay. And so they're sensitized and then you get a drink of water, which is cold, and now it becomes painful. Yeah. And that's amazing. That's that's an example. Or you can do in the other way and and use capsaicin, which yes. is chili, and it's heat that activates the trip receptors, which is the heat receptors, and then you could bring heat into it yeah, and you then drink that, like a warm glass. And of then that's painful. Like
1: coffee or something and yeah. Exactly right. So all of these processes are simply just about how much sodium and calcium has been thrown into the neuron, right? Yeah. So that's it. Now here's the thing is that if we talk, go back to a neuron talking to another neuron, sometimes the neuron doesn't want to excite it, right? So sometimes that neuron says, hey, don't send a signal. So instead of the neuron releasing something like glutamate and glutamate binding to glutamate receptors and that opens a sodium or calcium channel to go in to stimulate an action potential, the question then is how does it inhibit a neuron from sending a signal? So it will do whatever it can to make that next neuron become more negative, not more positive. So to make it positive, you throw positive things in. So then the question could be, well, what we could do is we could throw negative things in. Like chloride like chloride, because chloride is high in concentration outside the cell. So if you open a chloride receptor, or sorry, chloride channel, chloride's going to go into the cell and make it more negative. And that's like what you said earlier called hyperpolarization. and it makes it less likely to send a signal. Yeah. The other thing you could do is open potassium channels to throw more potassium out. Remember, that's yeah. got a positive charge, so it makes it more negative inside. Yep. Same thing. So at the end of the day, you want to stimulate a neuron to send a signal, throw sodium or calcium in. If you want to inhibit a neuron from sending a signal, throw chloride in or throw potassium out.
2: And so, and, and and that, that Matty,
1: is how most nervous system drugs work.
2: Okay. It's for instance, pain medication. So when we spoke about those two uh, neurons earlier with the painful thing from the cup... Um, opioids would work at the spinal cord level. As one example, I know they work higher up, but at the spinal cord level to stop that communication of the glutamate or substance P. Yeah. Um, to prevent the, them speaking to each other and that diminishes that painful stimuli.
1: Yeah. That's right. That's right. And other drugs work by throwing more chloride in or throwing more potassium out or whatever it may be.
2: So yeah, so the, the negative one chloride a good one is the GABA receptor one. Yes. And that would be like a benzodiazepine. And that, you know, would haven't would be used for pain, certain Absolutely. pain, but yeah. also um, to stop too many action potentials in motor neurons, so yeah. movement neurons. Yeah. And that could be in cases where people have seizures or epilepsy and you want to stop that hyper excitability of neurons and you put essentially throw more chloride into the neurons
1: yes perfect so i think we've covered graded potentials and a way a neuron can excite or inhibit so let's now talk more specifically about how an action potential actually works because all we've spoken about is you can how you can trigger one but not what it actually comprises of so let's set the scene you've got a neuron and it's going to have a very long axon so this is the highway that all signals need to travel down and at the end of the day, all the signal is, is sodium moving down the neuron in or the, the, the axon, axon in a domino-like fashion. So think about that neuron with its long axon and all the way down the axon, you've got sodium channels. All the way down. You've also got potassium channels all the way down the axon. You've also got sodium, potassium, ATPase, pumps all the way down the axon. Now all neuronal signals will begin or all action potentials will be triggered down one end of that neuron around the soma area, the body, where the dendrites come into the body of the neuron, right? So the hillock? hillock? The axon hillock, which is sort of between the soma and the
2: axon. start of the axon.
1: Yeah. So let's now say we've done something, we've spoken about all the examples, that's now opened a bunch of calcium and sodium channels. And a bunch of sodium and calcium have rushed into one part of that neuron. So it's rushed in at that axon hillock area. It's now become positive, more positive, I should say. It's gone from negative 70 to now negative 55. Now, the negative 55 is a key, right? It's a key that opens up a gate. And that gate is a gate for sodium channels specifically. So what I'm saying is that negative 55 is a charge. It's a voltage. Yep. So this sodium channel is a voltage-gated sodium channel. So far, the only channels we've opened up have been those that can be mechanically transduced, thermally transduced, whatever, or neurotransmitter stimulated. So like... Ligand or ligand bounced, gated, right? Yeah, yeah. Ligand gated. But now we're talking about voltage gated. So we need a, a specific charge to open up the rest of these channels. So enough positive sodium of uh, enough so positive sodium and calcium have gone into this one area, and that charge of negative fifty five unlocks the very first voltage gated sodium channel, and sodium rushes into the cell.
2: Well, the channel, yeah, the channel will spring open. So the door's open now for sodium only. Yep. In this one area. In one area, and so therefore sodium will just follow its concentration gradient and want to rush inside the – through the membrane into the inside of the neuron. That's right. Or the axon.
1: Which makes that area that the sodium's rushed in to go from negative 70 to negative 55, which now this is the key to open the next voltage-gated sodium channel. Downstream. Downstream, down the axon. The sodium rushes in makes that area go from negative 70 to negative 55. That's the key to open the next voltage-gated sodium channel and sodium rush. And you can just keep doing this all the way down the axon. This is simply how every signal in the body is sent. It, well, every, sig- si- every single nervous signal is sent. Right. Does that make sense? It does. So if you think about that graph we spoke about earlier going from negative 70 to negative 55, right? And then we've got zero millivolts and then we've got positive 30. If we keep the voltmeter in here and continue to monitor what's going on with the charge, once it hits negative 55 and the sodium channels have opened up, so much sodium goes in that it becomes so positive inside the neuron that it spikes all the way up to positive 30 millivolts. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day the inside of a neuron has gone from negative 70 to positive 30. Now, think about it, it's gone from negative to positive. Now, the beginning, the inside was negative, the outside was positive. And the term for that is polarised. Now, if, if your, like, political views are polarised or what it it means it's different from one to another. So a neuron is polarised. Negative inside, positive outside. So when you turn the inside from negative to positive by throwing all this positive sodium in, you're depolarizing it. And that's what you said earlier, yeah, yeah. going to a more positive state. Now, once it hits positive 30, this is another key. And in actual fact, it's a key that closes something and opens something. This positive 30 key closes the so- voltage-gated sodium channels and opens the
2: potassium. But I thought it actually happened earlier. I thought it was about zero where you start to get the switch over, but it's just slow and it just keeps going. To be specific...
1: The, the sodium channels will close earlier, yeah. but the potassium channels should open at around about positive 30. Okay. Now, obviously, it's going to be plus or minus a certain voltage, but it's around about positive 30. So this key opens up voltage-gated potassium channels now. Yep. So no more sodiums going in. And in actual fact, most of the sodium is now inside the neuron, okay. right, when, when it was previously outside the neuron. Yep. But the signal's been sent. So, I've now felt that mug in my hand, or I've now felt the boiling coffee you've made me. Right. But the sodium's in, and the cell is fully depolarized. Mm-hmm. But potassium channels are now open. So, where's the potassium go? They'll leave. Yeah, leaves the cell. It exits the cell, carrying its positive charge with it, which means it makes the inside negative again.
2: So, it kind of reverses
1: what it just did. Yeah, so if it reverses, it's
2: repolarizing.
1: Look at that! So we've now repolarized the cell by throwing the positive potassium outside because it's carrying that charge with it, right? But here's the problem: we may now have repolarized the cell. Bit it's, f- it's bit too far. It's negative. Yeah, it it it's so repolarized. It's but hyperpolarized.
2: Potassium channels didn't close earlier enough. Yeah, and we lost too much potassium and too much charge mainly. And so it. ...dropped a lot more negative... Below negative the, 70. ...than the rest in membrane potential.
1: to so like negative 90. Right. Right? Why... Now, this is actually an important thing. This must happen in neurons. Why does this need to happen?
2: Well, like, it has to re-establish itself... ...to allow another action potential to occur. Why it goes so negative, I'm not sure.
1: It's so that we don't send another aberrant signal down that neuron. Right. If we did... That's epilepsy, okay. Right, so people with epilepsy have rebound issues with their neuron sending a signal. Instead of firing, rest, reset, fire, rest, reset, it fires, 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 fires. And, what, and what
2: is this termed? What's the the period where you can't fire again?
1: The refractory period. Okay. So we've hyperpolarized the cell; it's super negative. But here's the problem is that we need to do a couple of things. We need to, one, reset the charge, and two, all the sodiums inside the cell and all the potassiums outside. Yeah. How the hell are we going to reset that?
2: What do you think? We need to pump those ions back to where they originated.
1: That's why we have the sodium-potassium ATPase pump. Constantly pumping along, throwing three sodium out and two potassium in. It regenerates that electrical chemical gradient. Perfect. We've now reset the neuron so it can send another action potential. Isn't that beautiful? It is. So that is how that entire process works from start to finish really. Now if this action potential, so this is the action potential of a neuron. At the end of it, the signal, it might, at the end of this neuron, this action potential might trigger the release of a neurotransmitter. So yep. once this action potential hits the very end of a neuron called the... Terminal. Terminal. The, all The positive charge that's been created inside that neuron can stimulate calcium, voltage-gated calcium channels to throw calcium into the end of the neuron and calcium pushes neurotransmitters out of the neuron. Literally pushes what's called vesicles, these bubbles that hold the neurotransmitters, pushes them out. And we've just released neurotransmitters.
2: So there was a question here we got actually got from one of our listeners that asked a question to yep. us, which they couldn't get the answer to with maybe a clinician, on why do we need a synapse between another neuron and why don't we just jam them together and just send electrical signals straight into it? Why do we why do we change it from an electrical into a chemical to then Cause another electrical,
1: because it's our main way of modulating yeah. what the next signal is going to be. We may want the next signal to be inhibitory.
2: Yeah. Right. So, and that goes to the com- again the complexity of the brain where you've got ten thousand different neurons communicating. You don't exactly. want to because if you were to activate the next one, then you'd lose yeah that degree of complexity of what all the different things we can do in our brain.
1: That's right, and this goes back to my original point that I said that students either think it's excitatory or nothing, but it's not. It can be an excitatory signal or an inhibitory, and this is that complexity. So we need a gap. We need that synapse that turns an electrical signal into a chemical signal back into an electrical signal again. It may sound inefficient, but in actual fact, it allows for us to modulate what that next signal is going to be. Yeah. So it's super important. And that neurotransmitter may be... in excitatory like glutamate or inhibitory like GABA, mm. right? Yeah. And then we're back to the beginning again and the whole thing starts again, which I love. I think it's just a – I love teaching Should this we just concept.
2: talk briefly on how the calcium gets in, which is a bit different to what we saw with the sodium and potassium? Go for it. Well, as you've detailed that we spoke about, we had the greatest potential that happens in the dendritic tree, which then changes the potential, the electrical chemical potential – so much that at the axon hillock which is just down a bit from the body at the start of the axon which has a cluster of sodium channels which you mentioned were voltage gated yeah so the only thing that can open them is a change in volt and as you mentioned it has to be negative 55 to open them now as these all open then we have this domino effect of all these sodium channels opening down the length of the axon until it gets to the The bottom end towards the axon terminal. Um, Now we start to lose at this point the sodium voltage-gated channels and we start to see we get um, calcium channel but they're voltage-gated. That's right. So the same thing as we saw with the sodium channels but we just change them, replace them for calcium. Exactly. And so now instead of sodium coming in, we just have calcium coming in and that calcium coming in. Causes an exocytosis effect. Yes. Which yes. At the at the bottom end of your um, axon terminal, you have all these um, bundles, bubbles, vesicles, UFO looking structures that are yeah. filled with these little things. And by bombarding these vesicles with calcium, it causes them to get pushed to the membrane of the axon terminal, fuse in with it. Mm. And then dumping it into this the synapse and that's the neurotransmitters in the bundles.
1: Yeah, because these vesicles that the neurotransmitters are in in the axon terminal are basically like little cells, right? They've got little m- membranes that are s- very similar to the cell membrane. That's why it can merge with the cell membrane. It's very fatty yeah. um, or lipid-like, lipophilic yeah. layers uh, and then p- releases them out into the synapse and they, through diffusion, diffuse down their concentration gradients and go and bind to the receptors of the next neuron or bind to the receptors of a muscle or bind to the receptors of a gland. Right. right. And it can either stimulate them to contract, that's what a muscle will do, or stimulate the gland to release its chemicals and by, do, by sending an action potential, by triggering one or inhibit it. Beautiful. Yeah.
2: Just to add a couple points here.
1: Absolutely. With,
2: with the neuron, um, in most cases you won't have a neuron that's just sitting on its own They will be clustered together in a nerve. Okay, so in the case of your hand touching that cup, it's probably going to go up, let's say, the median nerve or the ulnar nerve, depending on what part of the hand has been pressed on. Yeah, Let's just say the median nerve, right? So the median nerve is going to take that signal with probably tens to hundreds, wouldn't be tens, hundreds of thousands of other neurons or axons with it. Okay, so it's taking it up into your... Uh, brain. Well, C5 C, <laughs> five, cord first. C five to T1 yep. in that region. Yep. Okay. And then it's going to go to the brain. Now, the median nerve um, is going to try to speed that signal up for you. And so, what it does, just like you see with a power cord, you don't have the power cord coming out of your power socket yeah. that's just exposed um, copper wise. True. Right? Very true. A, you'll get a, electric shocked. Yeah. Or you'll just lose, lose the, signal. the signal. Yeah. yeah so yeah, you right. need to wrap it up. And so that's why we insulate power cords so we don't lose charge. So do
1: we insulate our neurons, Matthew? We do.
2: So we use myelin. So that's just fat. We just wrap it up with fat. Right. And the thing that has all the fat is a myelinating um, glial cell, right. which is a supportive cell. Yep. Now, in the peripheral nervous system, that is what we call a Schwann cell. Schwann, and in the which centr- always reminds me of
1: the Adam Sandler... Uh, Billy, oh, Madison, yeah, Billy right? Madison. Stop looking at me, Schwann,
2: and always think Schwann cells. Yeah.
1: Okay. Anyway, what that was, it wo- whatever works. What a wonderful aside
2: that yeah. was. Um, whereas in your central nervous system, spinal cord, brain, it's an oligodendrocyte that does that right. for you.
1: They're the, the these are the cells that do the wrappings. right?
2: Right. Now, by doing this wrapping, what it actually does for you, okay? So the length of let's we'll just say the medium nerve mm. going from your fingertips up into your spinal cord, that is how far? A metre? We'll call it a metre. A metre distance you got long of, arms. of one axon. One axon. Long H- way to go. into neck. Okay, long way to go. So if it wasn't myelinated, and there's some nerves that will be not myelinated Less, or very yeah. lim, limited in its myelination, it's going to be a lot slower. So it might move one to five metres a second. Now, yep. if you can myelinate them and make it really thick – you can travel it at a hundred meters a second. Wow! So it goes much quicker, and so the way it does it is, you know, how you said along the axon, you have all these sodium voltage-gated yeah, channels. Yeah, yeah. If you wrap it up in these distinct blocks, um, is that how you'd say it? Like block parts? Yeah. So you say
1: there's an area that's densely wrapped, and yeah. then not much l- wrapped. A little bit
2: of gap. Yeah, and, and then, then another, another wrapped area right. and then gap. Wrapped so area. by yep. doing
1: that- They're called nodes of Ramvia, right? W-
2: the node is where the, the gap is. Yes. Yeah. So that's where the gap is, is the only part that you need to actually do that sodium exchange. Yes. So where there's actually exchange, nothing happens. So it almost like-
1: You mean there's no kangaroo, sodium jumping right. into the- So it yes. almost
2: kangaroo jumps it. Yes. So by doing that, you speed up the signal significantly. Exactly. And so there you can go from a metre a second to over 100 metres a second. Yep. And so that's why, and a good example of this, and I say this to my students, if you're gotten up in the middle of the night, you need to go to the toilet, it's dark, you can't see where you're going, you walk along and then you smack your foot yep. against the um, bed yep. leg. Done that multiple times. Yeah. Now, the first thing you feel yeah. is you've kicked your foot. Absolutely. So you he- mechanical depression vibration yep. you know oh, I've kicked my foot yeah, this not, will hurt this not, will hurt in not about painful, a fraction of a second. But you know you've done it yeah. and then the pain comes. That's right. Because the pain's traveling much slower because it's not you, as well myelinated. The, that's right. So and that's a good example of They're the two signals C-favours. going. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I think yeah. that's a great I think that's a great example. The, and the so, slow C fibers of the long of the, the pain that sort of aches is because it's poorly myelinated. Yeah.
2: And so that's when we have certain diseases that are of injuries. Um, MS. MS is central nervous system, but you can have so that's some, multiple sclerosis, right? But you could have some peripheral nerve ones. Yeah. And diabetes is an example yeah. where you lose the myelin, and then you for, therefore you lose, lose action potentials.
1: Yeah. 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 Absolutely.
2: How so good. So that's um, and just to add one more point to it, by changing sure. the size of the diameter as well, of of the axon will yeah. speed it up. So the real fast highways are the ones with the most myelination and the biggest diameter of axon. Right. And the smallest ones usually have the least So the sciatic
1: nerve would be a quick one? That's well, the sciatic
2: nerve's curve. got everything in it. Right. So the sciatic nerve will have pain. So within that big spinal sciatic oh, uh, nerve, yeah. which is the size of your thumb, if wow. you were to cut it... And look at it in cross section. You'd see
1: sensory, motor, yep. no autonomic. And
2: so, depending on those, would determine how quick they can run. So, Very cool. certain signals you need to go really quick, let's say like vibration, but also proprioception. But yes. then you want ones that go a bit slower, like pain, temperature. Yeah. And it's all we'll based on. Be careful
1: on when we say pain because pain, okay. pain is the perception, no is the signal. Yeah, yeah. Cool. That's greater potential. Did we do potential? everything? I think we did. Um, people will tell us if we don't. But, Matt, what I want to do now is read some listener emails. And, yes, oh. this is an applause for That we got, that we got, we got emails? us. Yeah.
2: That people actually...
1: Yeah, we actually get heaps of emails. Uh, We've just been very lazy or forgetful to read them. So do you want me to read one first? Yep. Okay, this is from Jolene. So Jolene says, Hi, I love your podcast and I've listened to tons of episodes from you guys. Thanks for providing it. So far, I've gotten top marks in my courses in the US. Firstly, congratulations, Jolene. I usually listen to it uh, at the gym or while driving around and I often rope my family into listening to it. That's so cool. Honestly, I've listened to a lot of podcasts but yours is my absolute favourite. Now, here's the question. Do you plan on covering spermatogenesis? Sorry? (laughs) Do you plan on covering spermatogenesis? The generation
2: of sperm oogenesis, A generation of eggs,
1: gastrulation.
2: Um, yeah, it's like the, and fetal development okay, fine.
1: as well as the female reproductive system. I'd love to hear these topics covered in your podcast. Thank you for the great content. Looking forward to hearing more from you. Thank you, Jolene.
2: The Jolene, egg- you had me at spermatogenesis. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is all embryology, which is wonderful news yeah. for me. You
1: got Matt very excited, uh, which is uh, annoying. So thank you, Joe. Uh, yes, we're going to do spermatogenesis. We're going to do oogenesis. We're going to do gastrulation. We're going to do fetal development. And we haven't yet done female reproductive system. We have done male, but not female. Have we? Yeah. We're, we're wow. fools. We haven't That's done it I know. So yes, we will. Thank you, Joe, for that email. Matt, do you have an email you'd like to read? Yeah, in? I've got one
2: from Louise. Yep. So Louise um, sent this on behalf of the podcast that was the Santa special. Oh, yes. Yeah. So Did everyone enjoy the Santa special? Um that was fun. Louise is an uh, A.M.P. professor. Okay. At a community college in Canada. All right. So we we did something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we actually did. Uh, she does. Well, she starts um, positively. Awesome. And says she does refer her students to our resources. Oh, well, that's very kind. Okay, Thank but you. But she did say she did cringe at our Santa special <laughs> because um, we mixed up hyperkalemia with high calcium. Hypercalcemia. That would have been me because I spoke about the milk. Yeah. So Look, that is a uh, I, silly mistake. I um, take full blame for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is a silly mistake and there is no uh, way around that no. apart from our bad. We apologize. Luckily it's not an episode that people are gonna take to heart and uh, you know, make some pretty bad errors from. So that's good. But
2: we really Can I say that something feedback. with both hypercalcemia and hyperkalemia? Yes. Which goes back to what the action potential Yeah. yeah, So (laughs) hyperkalemia, which is high amounts of potassium. Yes. Okay. Um, Why is that bad? Why is this a dangerous thing?
1: Well, if you've got high amounts of potassium, that's sitting outside the cell. So it means the potassium that's inside the neuron doesn't want to leak out. So it remains very positive in the neuron and
2: it makes it easier to fire off. Very good. Exactly. So it brings it closer to the threshold, makes the neurons more excitable, easier to stimulate and this can be a big problem, particularly with heart. I mean nerves as well, but particularly heart. And this is one method that um, they used. Well, I think they still use to actually for um, lethal injections. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To stop the heart. Yeah, yeah. Too much potassium. Yeah. Uh, hypercalcemia. Similarly, too much calcium would make the excitable tissues. More excitable. Um, yeah.
1: But this is not because nothing's coming out, it's because more calcium's going in, down its concentration gradient, making it more positive inside. But still, same effect. Similar effect. Um, I have one from Shelley... So Shelley says, Doctor Matt and Doctor Mike, thank you for your fun Science of Santa podcast episode today. So obviously this was in December. So sorry for the delay in reading this, Shelley. I just love your banter back and forth and appreciate your humor in all your episodes. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year from Chicago. Thank you, Shelley. Merry Chicago. Christmas and Happy New Year. I've never been. To, have you been to Chicago? Yeah, I have.
2: Is it awesome? I've never been. I I enjoyed it. I'd love to go it was to Chicago. Cold when I was there. Though.
1: Yeah, it, the Windy City, isn't it? Mm. Um, thank you. Uh, I appreciate my humour as well <laughs> uh, and that's all I'll say about that one. Um, should we save more emails for future episodes? Or do you have another one you would like to No,
2: grab? that's what I've pulled okay. up for now.
1: Ladies and gentlemen and... Dear listeners. Dear listeners, I will say, um, thank you for listening to our current episode. I'm Dr. Mike Todorovic. This is Dr. Matthew Barton. You can access us. You can send us emails like these wonderful listeners have. gubiosciences at gmail.com. Go to our website, drmattanddrmike.com.au and you can send us an email from there. Tell your friends about us. Leave us a five-star rating. Tell us what you enjoy.
2: Did uh, you say go to our website? It's I did. Because it's new. It is a new website. It's updated. Yeah. I think. Tell it- us what you think of it. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, and you can contact me on social media. Matt is absent on social no, media. No,
2: not completely. Uh, Mostly.
1: He's got Twitter. Yep. So if you want to give him a bit of crap, uh, just go to Twitter and it's at Dr. Bartox, D R B A R T O X. Or you can contact me on all my social media handles at Dr. Mike Todorovich, D R M I K E T O D O R O V I C. Apart from that, please. Uh, I hope you like our. Hope new you, A to hopefully, you found series. today stimulating. Oh, very good. Not or inhibiting. Potential,
2: or potentially stimulating.
1: Or potentiating. Very nice. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, no, dear listener, thank you and good night.